0: Thank mm-hmm. you. John and Steve Show, starring Matt. That's not the name of the show. No. Oh, wait, there's, there's been a name change. John didn't tell you?
1: Now John, now tell me that. John, you're supposed to tell him. It's supposed to be alphabetical. I'm supposed to be first. No, you just want to be first because you want to be top bill. No, it's, alph- it's alphabetical. No, it's supposed to be the
0: Steve Show. Negate both of you two. You're featured. Wow, he just called us featured. How is he getting home later? Walking. Oh, yeah. that's good. That's cool. A, this just in. Steve's walking home.
1: To a oh. different borough. We looked it up, it's fourteen miles. That's no, I looked that up actually. It's fourteen miles. It is fourteen point seven miles. It should only take you three hours? No, actually quite a bit longer because the Verizontal Bridge is not walkable last time I checked. You'd have to swim. Three and a half hours.
2: Yeah. If you can't swim across where the Verizontal Bridge is, you're you're dead anyway. end. There, there
0: is public transit in, though. In this is an time. option, you know. Welcome to the Crash Courts Podcast. Mostly the only uh, music news I have this week is uh, I'm going to see MC Frontal and Dr. Awkward on Saturday. Um, they're playing at Littlefield in Brooklyn, um, and I'm excited to see them. MC Fernaldon just put out a new record, so I'm excited to get to hear that live. Um, it's his um, concept album about questioning bedtime called Question Bedtime. Questioning Bedtime? It's called Question Bedtime. It's mostly... Either Nursery Rhymes or Twisted Nursery Rhymes or Fairy Tales. Oh, okay. Now that title makes a lot more sense. Yes. Um, with... uh, I actually
2: found a new book series uh, that are the same sort of vein. Oh, interesting. Though
0: this is more of a uh, young adult noir type of a setting. Does he do young adult noir? Not really. I mean, it's, it could be considered a kid's album, but there are adult moments like a lot of kids' products these days. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, so I'm going to see them with Sarah on Saturday, so that should be a lot of fun um that's really it i'm excited to hear the new album because it's a concept album i like when bands like take a whole album and play it from beginning to end i haven't heard it happen often but i have and it's it's a lot of fun i like when bands embrace the new material and just play it from beginning to end yeah it's rare it is very rare that they choose to do that on
1: stage but it, it shows that they back their work their yeah. studio work quite a bit yeah and that it's not merely a collection of tracks that they could take or leave themselves so yeah, it was a lot of passion,
0: I think. The last band I have heard do that, actually, was Blue October, when the album Approaching Normal came out, which was two albums ago. The, on that tour, they played that whole album from beginning to end and then played three of their hits. And that was it. And it was really great. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, um, I guess we might as well, at this point, get into our new record for this week. John. It was John's pick. Uh, this record is
1: A Vivid Memory. Thanks for the dramatic pause. Yeah, by, I remember it. We, we listened to it a while ago. So it's pretty vivid. Yes. Uh, by a band
2: called Set and Setting. Um, the band itself originated in 2009 as a recording project by a guitarist, Shane Handel. Handel. Uh, Handel. I don't know that, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, the band is actually made up of five individuals... All of which play instruments, and that's it. This is a full-fledged instrumental band, so I'm not going to get to talk lyrics today, which is kind of a shame. Uh, they, got two, oh. they got two drummers, two guitarists, a bassist, and uh, one of those drummers also works on the ambient noise. It's a band I kind of just fell across because I was looking for something weird, and I wanted something weird, and I wanted something a little bit outside the vein of folk and rock and all that normal stuff that we've been doing recently.
1: So, I went, so you went into another area of, of normal stuff. Well, no, it's post.
0: It's not normal, and it's I guess post. it's post, and post is becoming very normal. Yeah, that's true. it's fairly common at this point. There are quite a few post-rock bands. And so. this is not just post-rock. It's
1: post-rock with a dashing of we can't decide what kind of metal. Well, the thing is, you'd have to be asleep to ignore the post-rock genre at this point. It's made quite a, uh, a foray into the movie soundtrack world, and it's been doing that since the late 90s. Yeah, sure because it's very moody. It basically takes the rock framework that we all know and love and kind of adds an air of introspectiveness that maybe rock itself would not necessarily have had. Even though it may have had it in like various areas, it basically takes it and goes balls to the wall with it.
0: Well, yeah, the couple of soundtracks that I've heard, like, from some of the newer comic book movies that, that are more the more action-packed ones, like the Marvel ones... Well, I was thinking more indie than, than comic okay. book but, but yes, but they've, they've them, discovered it as well, yeah, I'm sure. there's been a quite a bit of it. I mean, X-Men First Class had, for some of the themes of some of the characters, had a lot of heavy guitar and post-rock kind of sound. Yeah. And then, of course, even if you uh, are not listening to it in the movies, it's
1: just pretty easy to come by... By genre hopping and band hopping which is also very easy to do now via Spotify and things yeah, and like I've that if you that happen to times. like certain moody bands you might find that they tend to breach post rock and then well you can discover that it's been a genre since at least the mid 90s uh, the reason it's called post rock generally is because it, it it furthers rock just in that one particular area but also because it takes a feature like the guitars and uh, we talked about this back in episode 60 when we talked about Sigur who is kind of a progenitor of post-rock, or at least um, one of the champions of post-rock in terms of uh, uh, modern music. And they were pretty commonly known for taking the guitar and using it as an effect instrument rather than its traditional usage, which would be as a solo instrument or as uh, an an acoustic instrument or as a um, a rhythm guitar or a even even kind of a background color instrument. This is really more for an overlying effect, which can double as melody, but its primary focus is to provide a tone to the band. That's that's different, I think. That's really what, what post-rock... Uh, that's, that's how they change it up. It also speaks something to the fact that the band chose this particular name, Set
2: and Setting, which uh, describes... Psychedelic drug experiences, at its core, Mm -hmm. actually because of being used to describe these psychedelic drugs, it was uh, uh, not invested in, it was uh, chosen by researchers to be sort of the terminology they use for a lot of the things when they're doing psychedelic uh, psychotherapy. The set is the state of mind, such as the thoughts, the experiences, so on and so forth, and the setting is the actual location. And these things were actually very important because if you created the right set and the right setting you could actually guide to some extent uh, psychedelic experiences and out-of-body experiences and so much other things that we think of in psychology nowadays just by having a specific framework in which you're working in. So I think it's kind of interesting
1: just, just by choice alone of what they're calling themselves. It very well may, may be because I also looked at the same thing, and it could be that they are following that particular definition. Of course, it could also just be the way we traditionally use uh, the phrase "set in setting," which is just to really describe atmosphere. Atmosphere, scene, yeah. Yeah, um, and Locale. there is a distinct ambient touch or an ambient edge to this band. Not, not. Strictly ambient in the sense that there's these long drawn-out notes, which is really what defines ambient although as I said before the guitars could be counted as that element, but I think the ambience is actually chosen within the very very steady uh, rhythms that this band chooses not just the, the the rhythm itself, but just the fact that they can pick a cycle and maintain it for a very very long period of time and we're going to talk about how this how this wears on you or intrigues you as we go through this album but just that repetition therein can be kind of construed by the brain after a certain amount of time as being an ambient effect because it, get, it grows accustomed to it so they could be pursuing their own band title after just that. True. Or- and- I mean, an, uh, and it very well may be both. Or neither. <laughs> Who knows?
2: Bands like to be clever like that. And in this case, this band cleverly started with Waves of Luminescence. Yeah. You, like, you like that segue, right? You like it that was segue. was pretty
1: terrible. Kind of horrible, yeah. actually. Better than, Although they, better than some of Matt. Um <laughs> They started works. with the title Waves of Luminescence, probably uh, supports the latter of those two. Although, so I suppose you see lots of lights when you're uh, under certain psychedelic drugs could be true, too. Um, In this case, we start off with a
2: really uh, very gentle flow of chord progression. Very, very gentle flow. And this is something that right slow away... Slow chord
1: progression is very slow. Yeah, and, and it
0: was this... The, the, the starting slow burn, I couldn't tell at first even if it was a guitar or a keyboard because it was just kind of almost minimal, you know? It had this kind of minimal... Not minimalist, but it was just there was not a lot to indicate what specific sound but see, it that in itself is a common element of post
1: rock I mean yeah. it uh, lots of times I find that especially if you can identify the overall sound of a post rock band and then when you go that extra step to say mmm is that a guitar or a Something blank else. insert then it's probably a guitar routed through certain effects in order to turn it into an effects instrument it, it kind of comes out of the the natural drive that lots of guitarists have to uh, to sort of break free from their constraints because guitarists, considering that they're just you know six strings in your hand, they're pretty versatile. Yeah, it's pretty amazing actually. Well, there's a variety of ways well, to play, five and st- and, st- depending upon what kind of guitar you have. Five and, strings, and,
2: six strings. and this in and this way, we're actually getting a little bit of both guitarists uh, playing a little bit differently. A little bit of pluck work here, a little bit of the speed there, which ends up being a very high whine. And that was when they started introducing additional elements that I really was appreciating uh, the build of this song. Because this is a long song, and all the songs on this album just about are long songs. This is a
1: five-minute, 17-second track. Someone definitely did mention the phrase slow burn
0: to describe (laughs) it. Well, not necessarily all of the tracks were slow burn, but this one for sure. Because the idea with a slow burn is it goes somewhere. Eventually that burn... It burns to something, you know, and this did eventually uh, hit somewhere towards the end and and really culminate. Well, that may very well have been even a, a,
1: a further Freudian slip on your part, considering the, the the title, "Waves of Luminescence." I mean, if if you could sort of ponder the the notion of just sitting there by a, a fireplace and just watching it, I could see this to be the most appropriate music for that kind of atmosphere. And what do you encounter but waves of luminescence? If you're staring directly into a fire. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lots of lots of visuals that you could apply to this band, although perhaps not so many on the nose. They're vague impressions. I mean even that waves of luminescence, yeah, you can kind of imagine it, but it's not exactly something we're seeing on a this on isn't... a daily basis if you're not really tuned into the cosmos, perhaps. Well this
0: also isn't like Boards of Canada where certain songs we got distinct scenes. This I didn't really get a distinct scene. I got like an emotion, I got kind of like a, a an aura, but I didn't really get a specific place. I'm almost inclined to throw in the word
1: impressionism. We've yeah. got a lot of words in here, but I think that's another one, which kind of goes in, in hand with the cover art, which is something that we very rarely talk about, but it sort of had this uh, this kind of blurry Monet. Uh, yeah, it
0: looked like a in the middle of a field in a forest. But see, the you can only
1: make that out if you stand from a distance. Yeah. I mean, if you be... go, obviously you can, if you have good eyesight, you're going to make it out regardless. But it, it, it definitely had that quality to it where it was vague that someone is trying to give you the impression of a clearing in a forest.
0: Yeah. And about nothing more and not attempting to give you anything more. And the music reflects that. I agree. I, I definitely agree. Especially considering that this song, the way it builds and then kind of, wraps up with the this guitar outro is kind of what it started with. It started with this guitar key, what we thought was a keyboard, but actually I think was a guitar using those effects, kind of moves through. I don't know, I, I'm having trouble now that I'm thinking about it, though, remembering the intricacies of the middle part of the song. I know it built on itself a little bit. That was primarily um, a point-counterpoint kind of a situation going
2: on between mostly the, the uh, drums and especially on the... Uh, uh, bass drum, uh, versus the high, fast strum, or drawn strum of that guitar, of the, uh, secondary guitar. Right. And it was, a, a point-counterpoint, and it was the drums that did most of the building.
1: Uh, the percussion did a lot to almost all of the building, in, in each section. But see, it builds in spurts, because I found that, that the drums have this nature of kind of going into a round, where they create their own little cycle in of themselves. And then it becomes this sort of rounded edges. There's a little bit of texture in the drums, probably more texture in the drums than in the rest of the band, because everything else is pretty definable. Uh, yeah, I've already defined the, the guitar sound a million times. Um, there's also usually a secondary guitar, which is pretty easy to follow. It pretty much follows the same repetitive rhythms but then you have the drums that creates a little bit more of a rounded edge this sort of circular motion if you can imagine a drummer sitting with with more 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 panels at his his disposal than perhaps your average five-piece drum set having more 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 tom-toms more pitched tom-toms at his disposal so that way he can kind of provide more of a pitched edge well, even as a rhythmic instrument and, and, and he, he no, utilizes but... most of those elements in order to create this sort of rounded feel like rising high then going lower or even more of a sine wave you could describe it as
2: well i would i would argue that the drum is not the rhythmic instrument right now it is not taking that type of a stand no you're right
1: actually that's true as a it's, role it's the,
2: it's the guitars that are actually becoming most of the rhythm for the actual track uh
1: to some to some extent i mean they, that's, they, that's they the go part. back and forth it's, i mean there are parts where the, where the where the guitars are distinctly melodic but even then it's a slow melodic that still hammers on the same exact rhythm that you could kind of almost ignore by this point um because as i said it kind of you can treat it as ambient but then it it is the 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 drums that provide more texture within that so and
2: it's, but it's a texture and that each introduction of uh my new tidbits of complexity that really kept me in this song, that really was was making me desire the crescendo that we get to, that I really, really loved. I loved the culmination of this song.
1: I loved where it went to, and I loved what it did right after the culmination as well. I enjoyed it as well. I can't go quite so far as to say love, but it's only because, and I think I've sort of touched upon this a little bit, I'm very familiar at this point now, uh, As of the year 2014, that you are probably listening to this podcast, unless you're backlogging, 2014 is the date of this podcast. As of now, a lot of post-rock out there. They've been around for so long that I'm kind of familiar with this style. I know this sort of little game that a lot of post-rock bands play, which is this slow burn, focus on fairly steady rhythms, kind of simple but slow chord progressions, uh, long, drawn-out melodies, but still still sort of concise not melodies that are really reaching for the stars or trying to draw you in but just kind of fit in the groove of the atmosphere and i i must question certain little choices and wonder why not just go the next step you've given me an atmosphere i kind of want to know more about this atmosphere than just
0: that well technically it looks like they're going to do that in theory anyway with this track because the outro the guitar outro that just becomes pretty much acoustic guitar for that outro, single pluck, or single pluck, straight electric goes right into with a seamless, no stop in music to the second track, which is the inevitable cycle, um, which starts with a guitar Mm -hmm. intro playing off the exact same um, melody that was taking out of the last song. So you think, okay, maybe this is the next step. That whole song might've been an intro for this song. And
1: I'm aware of that. It was kind of a thing that I had in my mind as of the first track, but, Believe me, it's not unlike albums in general, forget post rock, to just take that as an intro, provide the setting there, and then move into content. So then, as we said, as you said, we move into inevitable cycle. We should probably mention, uh, of course, how that title kind of reflects all of my experiences thus far. Mm. That it is cyclical, you experience it as cyclical and it hints the fact that this is in the title that the band is fully aware of what they're doing and how they're trying to kind of give you this this uh, reoccurring phrase
0: over and over and over again, and you get a kind of a kind of uh, timeless repetition. And you get a sense of that even in the very early parts of this track. Within the first minute, you get a sense that this track is born of the previous track. Yes, it's definitely yep. pulling. Very much so. It's very much pulling from the first track, but trying to. Add a little bit of intricacy to give it a bit of a different twist, but nothing so ridiculous that it stands out. But, 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 this is where you start running into
2: the problems of having this cycle. Um, yeah, it was a, an initial reinvention of the first theme from Waves, but it takes about half the s- the song before you really feel like they're uh, breaching something new. And even that that becomes an eighth notes to a
1: 16th notes. I mean, it just, it's a faux speed increase. It's really just double time. Yeah. And that's where I got to reel back from exactly what I just said. I, I expected more in the second track. I expected yeah. them to go into the meet. They absolutely did not. In fact, they reeled back so that this track was really it it had it had less texture to it than the first track in many many ways. I mean, it really didn't have the rounded drums. That was one of the main features of the first track. That's completely been been pulled out. The drums hammer away along with the guitars with just about the same uh, mechanical drive that that you would get from from a metronome. I mean, you you feel you feel the metronome in this, and I kind of hate to say that because of course all studio music sort of goes back to the metronome at some point it probably needed to be on a metronome to begin with just so that uh separate tracks could be recorded together that's just how studio music works but there's a little bit of an edge there that you're supposed to kind of you know hide this fact within the your your inherent musicality and i just didn't really see that in this track and i believe that was because of the (sighs) benchmark
2: level the drums were playing at the sim the the support level as opposed to the playfulness and the the contrast the drums were trying to produce in the previous track. Right here, it's just being a supporting individual. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I would
0: say it was supporting. I think it would just it's kind of ro- like what Steve it's was there. saying. It's there. It's robotic. It's well, not. No, it, it is. Just, in in this case, there. the drums are the metronome. Yeah, it's just adding this kind of very cyclical rhythm that. I mean, it's just the song becomes very repetitive very quickly. Whereas in the first track, there were repetitive moments, but you were able to kind of ignore them for the intricacies that Steve mentioned. Here, the the repetitiveness is much more glaringly obvious. Until it got to about
2: two thirds of the way through, about a four minute, 30 seconds through, where it does start feeling like it's evolving to something different. Um, it feels more flexible a little more flavorable, uh, especially in the guitar
0: drum combination yeah but the bass drum work like the very bass beat is still in the pattern that Steve pointed out he was yeah, saying before this is, this is the no issue. the only
1: th- really the only change is that, that you could define this track as being in sort of a ternary style it's sort of a b a you have your a section in which it's just steady eighth notes throughout there is a cycle in there a somewhat of a melodic cycle within that but you it's really hard to break from that steadiness and then it does go double time this is section b which is a little bit more filled out filled out and you could say it's it's perhaps a little bit more energetic just because it's double time but i sort of had to take issue with that over the fact that it's it i don't merely feel that a double time march is is, is more energetic
0: just because
1: it's double time we said earlier there needs to be more character within that and that's just not here at this moment and then it ba- it reels back to another a section which is a li- uh, there very well could be a slight tempo change here but even then i'm not i'm i'm really not 100 percent on that it feels like the same tempo as it was in in the first a section in which case this is just an a prime where they change up the melody just slightly to sort of provide more of a culmination to this track and then that that's that's really it yeah there's not really much more to say about this track i mean it's just it was a shame that I couldn't feel much from it, but unfortunately, this is a, this is a track where I don't think they could disguise
0: that, that repetition. Well, and that's another thing. Like, we were talking the about... The melody about, wasn't strong enough. We were talking about how robotic it sounded on an emotional level. That's why it was kind of hard to connect also, because it just... It felt very machine. It felt very computer-made and, you know, almost almost calculated. And that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it can be, but in this case, it was a fault for sure. When you choose a, a title, like, Inevitable Cycle, it, it's kind of...
2: At least throw it's 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 hard to break away from that sort of an idea, and I think they may
0: have went a little bit too far. Well, also the we're trying to show the inevitability of a cycle. Well, also the idea with an inevitab- inevitable cycle is you could show that, like, show something is repetitive in the beginning, then have it evolve go somewhere crazy and then come back to the same thing at the end. Which that is which shows... I believe
1: that within the context of this track that that B section was meant to be there crazy, but, but I again I go back it to the same yeah. double time just is not crazy to me. No. It's it's slightly more energetic, but even then I I lack the I lack the context with which to really feel the build here. It was just it was just suddenly we're faster, suddenly we're not. And that's the overall impression this track
0: left on me. Um, which then leads into acceptance so acceptance is the first track is another track now though where you have our attention again it starts this was a smoother delicate intro yeah it starts very delicate and it, it's a pairing of an acoustic guitar and electric guitar whereas the electric guitar is doing what it's been doing in the record so far that kind of ambient sound effect whereas the acoustic guitar is being plucked and being played the together together it was kind of it was kind of folk-like it
1: was almost in its delivery yes. yeah, the it good was, guitar it was for sure playful. the acoustic it was playful. The first time we actually had some dipping into another genre. yeah,
2: yeah. but it, 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 it did have a sort of an easygoing feel from that that, that would link it to a more folk n- uh, sound. Um, but it did still have a, a playfulness to it that I wouldn't really attribute to folk itself. Um, and then when they start introducing the percussion, the drums and the progression of those drums, I really, really
1: was enjoying that piece because I felt like it was complementing both sides of these guitars. And this is a track that really changes it up on the rhythm end too. We start off in three, uh, at least John heard it in three, I heard it in six, um, and- Might be in nine, we don't know. Might be in nine, it may very well be in nine because I think I actually heard this little, uh, little sub-triplet thing where you have three groups of three, and I heard that throughout this, uh- Throughout this track in in various moments, and here the, the the drum really plays around with that. You feel it kind of hammering out these triplets in certain places, but then not in others, so it keeps it more steady to kind of feel it back in three, but then you feel it in nine again, and it kind of it kind of slips between those two rhythmic styles and I found it to be very very um, very tasteful, I think in that regard, especially in some of the more heavier inter- interludes and oh, I see, think that see. was uh, uh, one of our favorite parts, Matt.
0: Well, yeah, because also when it gets to that heavier part, it, I mean, it really felt like it was building to that, and it doesn't lose the identity of the earlier part when it builds to the heavier bit. Though it, it
2: does have a distinct
0: metal taste as opposed yeah, to this folk well, go- or rock it, it, noise. It gets more metal, which, I mean, makes sense for evolution's sake musically, and it becomes all electric. The acoustic guitar goes away, and now everything's being done by two electric guitars, or at least that's how it sounds, and you get this kind of reverberating sound effect between the guitars, whether it's a feature of a pedal or whether it's just a post-production sound effect, but you get this kind of almost warbling Or effect. it might be strumming so quickly. Right. It's actually a little bit hard to
2: tell, but it becomes almost a single note that just vibrates as it goes along.
1: That's where I go back to that... Um, that uh... That nine cycle again, because that warble even itself kind of sounds like it is using that group of three, that that subgroup of three, because the warble itself is a triplet. So if you're counting this in in six, which is I think where you'd kind of want to go with it, then you'd feel it as as a, a group of three, then another group of three, then another group of three, all throughout this entire six. You might even count it longer than nine at, at this at this juncture, but. Uh, You really feel this especially in this in this interlude this heavy interlude where four of those beats are kind of Heavier in the fact that they pull away all of the melodic material and just sort of hammer out those four beats really really strong And then you feel the fifth and the sixth beat as these sub triplets So that's how I said that you feel it in nine because even then if you feel those individual triplets And if I'm hearing triplets throughout the rest of the piece, then you can probably assume that
0: there's triplets all throughout Yeah, and and it gives us kind of um, this feeling for the track that it just it felt it felt like very. It, it's funny you point out that it was sounded folk in the beginning and then became metal. It really did have a natural musical evolution that I didn't really get at first. This evolution from folk to metal, and this this getting it got heavier, but not in a cliché. Oh, we're really heavy. You're really heavy kind of way. It was very much a natural transition. It was a smooth interlude. Yeah. yeah, and another aspect I really enjoyed about this, which was
2: the fact that the melody. Was, was was such a slow progression itself, but it was using a that speed guitar in, in double and triplets and we don't know quite what. Um, it was a great contrast between the two different ideas because the melody, the, what that guitar was doing was so long form, comparatively, 15, 20 seconds before it starts really repeating itself, before it starts really restating itself. Mm-hmm with such a quickly strum instrument was very enticing for me very very much allowed me to slow down and sort of um lies to me over over the length of this song it it, it compressed the 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 full time frame
0: of this song for me down to make it actually feel a lot shorter than it was well that's also yeah. because the song doesn't suffer from what track two did it was more in line with track one it had enough again engaging intricacies that we didn't drift from it. It kept us engaged the whole time, so it seemed and to move the, quicker. And the bridging between the different parts that they were doing was much
2: smoother and felt more natural. Like all around, it was, it was a lot of the things that the inevitable cycle was missing. And, and just the complaints we have were fixed here in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then we go on to emptiness. The only under five
0: minute song, it so it's was a, actually two and a half, set, uh, two and a half minutes, yep. so that, that means it's emptier. Yeah. Um, so this is the first song that, within seconds of the playing starting, it's another, coo- starts, another song that starts with acoustic that quickly gets accompanied by electric after the first <coughs> repetition. But the thing that was really interesting to me about this is within those very early acoustic notes, you immediately get a sense of longing, this kind of emptiness, essentially. You get the emotional impact of the title very quickly, which hadn't happened yet on this album, which I really liked. This is another one we feel
1: in 6-4, but much slower this time around. Much slower, much... uh, Essentially, we just feel the eighth notes of this whole 6-4 cycle. And it's about as steady as it has been, but I think this track benefits from the fact that it has withdrawn so many instruments. So much of that... I'm sorry to say clutter at this point, but that's the way I was sort of try- interpreting um, much of that, especially especially in the second track. I was interpreting it as clutter. Here, all of a sudden, it's, it's like, by being more regular but thinner, they can cut much closer to your heartstrings.
0: Yeah. And, and you also, get really get that sense, sorry. I just want to th- also throw this in here, because I pointed out to Steve... You get a really strong Radiohead vibe, especially like Paranoid Android era, because it's that slow acoustic guitar with the sound effect provided by the electric. And that's appropriate, because Radiohead inspired many post-rock bands. And so you get this, and they also, within seconds in a lot of their songs, even before um, what's his name? The lead singer starts singing, you get this sense of loneliness or confusion or longing in a lot of Radiohead tracks. And so I think this felt that kind of vibe that I, re- I recognize from Radiohead in the mid to late 90s. And along also- with that, you get a very light effect here. The guitar, the melody itself,
1: is very very light, much much lighter than it has been, because of course the the guitar has been this sort of melodic instrument even since the beginning, but it just has not been this delicate. This this is just as delicate as the rest of those instruments. It comes in and forms this melody, but again it functions as an effect as well. The melody is the the overlying effect, and it's just this very smooth, almost glistening, right on top of the other of 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 the other two instruments. And there's this great chord work that goes along with this. So it, it was more delicate, I think, just in the fact that that you could hear the harmonies because there was less instruments here. And it was particularly between that very high guitar and these, um, the, these low acoustic sounds. Uh, all this culminated, for me at least,
2: as sort of like a wire mesh framework of an idea, as opposed to a full three-dimensional item. Instead of having the guts and every little texture put into there every little raised ridge and and valley they instead just created the bare skeletal image of what they're doing in this music and it has its own little beauty to it it's it's it feels vast but it feels controlled it has a space and loneliness but still is approachable it's it's not so out there it it's an empty emotion but still full of that. Think, still full of that emotion that really gets to me. And this is the probably the only time I'll ever say this. I wanted a lot more. In this case, I felt like it was going somewhere, but did not finalize its location. Did not finalize the destination. That was my one thing
0: with this track. See, and I would disagree completely for one major reason. It accomplished emotionally, arc-wise in five seconds what none of the other tracks except maybe the final track on the record does on the whole album. And that's why I don't feel that it was incomplete because it got there very quickly, made you feel something and then let you wallow in that emotion for a solid two and a half minutes and said, okay, let's move on to the next thing. I thought it felt very tight for what it was trying to convey.
1: I will agree with Matt only because I think this is one of those instances where minimalism really, really works. Um, I think... I think many other parts of this album have been trying a sort of, uh, a sort of stifled minimalism, if that makes any sense. In other words, not going thin enough because they want to sort of in- introduce the other element, which is something we've kind of glossed over, and that's the whole, the whole metal element that's sort of been here throughout. We've just been calling it post rock, but especially when they get heavier, they sort of have this, this doom metal vibe. It's kind of, it's kind of grungy at certain moments. And of course Doom Metal uses that that effect of sort of having an ambient in the background, an ambient uh, groove that is just always there and it's always overbearing. And it's been there in many moments in this album, and I think it's been ruining it a little bit because they they're not they're not glittered enough to really explore that in my opinion. Yeah. And they're not dark enough to really explore that. But what they can do,
0: especially in this track, is explore the lighter edge. Plus, I think also if they had extended this, it might have also hurt the next track. And I think that's
2: that's where I, I uh, I'm drawing some of my complaints because from emptiness we go into descending sun. Now, descending sun's the biggest monster on this album at almost twelve minutes long. Eleven emptiness, and a half. I. Th-
0: There's eleven minutes. In, oh no, you're right. Eleven, and 11 15, minutes fifty-two, 52 seconds. seconds. Yeah, you're right. Almost twelve minutes. Never emptiness mind. does a incredible job in my opinion
2: of setting up Descending Sun because from the introduction it feels like we're falling. The space created in Emptiness becomes a, a almost crash landing uh, in Descending Sun. But it takes so long to crash in Descending Sun that I, I, I kind of wished Emptiness did something else. That's where my
0: biggest... It's a retrospective. I wish there was something different here but we're not just falling into sending sun it's giving this the conveyance in the early part of the track is it really quickly evolves from this kind of uh, weightlessness to almost like crashing through something like, like at, John I, said, I put it atmospheric burning yeah going through an atmosphere and I mean this track gets very heavy at times but my biggest problem on the whole and then we'll break it down more specifically is that it inevitably doesn't need to be this long uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit, but
1: so. let's just talk about exposition as we started to I agree that it does feel like something is crashing down through something else and it does have a violent air in in that regard I'll even amend my earlier statement about uh, them not really doing the the doom metal portion really well to say that they do it a lot better here and Also uh, how I earlier described doom metal as sort of glittered is maybe not the best word, but it, it's decorated a little bit more because Doom Metal thrives on exploring texture and definitely here they've they've mastered that a little bit more. Although, because of the fact that they were able to also link you know, the the goings on to the title, where you all sort of got the same impression. Which is funny considering that descending sun doesn't really imply that anything is crashing through the atmosphere at all. It unless, just implies the unless... very natural daily occurrence of, of the sun Let's going say. down below the horizon. But it could be dramatic depending on your point of view. For instance, one of the things that comes to mind is is the kind of uh, setting sun you'd view in the desert, where the sun is is, is six times larger or appears six times larger than it would normally appear. And, and you can it see sets, it set through the haze, yeah. and it creates a whole sort of illusion uh, as it makes its way through all that atmosphere to you. In which case, it's the light coming through the atmosphere, and that is the violent which is, is, is interesting and I think it fits with this band's framework because I, I don't see them going so far as to you know an asteroid crashing down the atmosphere based on, on what they've been presenting thus far. It would be out of character for them.
0: I also want to this say This makes that, me think of the album cover. Yeah, the main driving force of this feeling of falling I'd say is the drum work which you get a lot more of in this track. You know? Though the distress yeah, it reflects the first track it, in that regard. It's that yeah. rounded edge. There was a certain level of distress uh, distress
2: not distress, I'm, my pronunciation's off again. Words are hard. Yep. Uh, of distress in the guitar that it, it starts off very flavorful, to say the least, and then <laughs> sort of solidifies. But even so, there's still um, a discord in the guitar and, and the actual uh, progression of the chords themselves that remains through for the first like solid four minutes of this track that does lend it that sort of burning sensation, that sort of rough descent kind of an idea, that sort of violent nature as you put it, as, as sort of not one person being violent towards another, but a cool, a cold violence, a, a natural progression of sort of an overwhelming force. That's what I mean. This, this, this discord here does an, a, a great job of, of progressing
1: the track itself. Through the first four minutes or so, yeah. know, yeah, We all had the same reaction with that, experiencing violent as if a thing of nature, something that is beyond your control and you're okay with that. It's more like witnessing a spectacle, something of awe. Um, now we talk about the progression of this track. I think we were all on the same page here and I think we we're all certifiably impressed for the first two minutes. I'd give it almost three.
2: I would give it it almost four.
1: I hate talking about time in this regard because time is almost meaningless when you talk about a track like this. It's really just whatever that moment is, wherever it may be, whenever it may be, excuse me. That it falls apart on you.
0: That it falls apart
1: on you or that you just start to say, I get it.
0: Yeah. You never want to be at a point in a song where you're ignoring the emotional connection. You might even be ignoring the impact because you're going, "Uh uh-huh.
2: Enough. And I, you know what? Impact is actually probably the perfect word for this because, with all the symbolism that we're, yeah, sp- uh, we're spouting out here about descent, falling through, we don't get that crash. We instead it, it transitions, to a very, a cold and slow stride that just has none of that actual. Uh, Je ne sais quoi or whatever you want to phrase it as that the previous section had it that a section was leading to something and what it led to was
1: Kinda nothing overall. Well, you know what? I think it's because we're sort of torn between these two different animals again It's almost that same thing I said before between the the, the minimalism or, or the doom rock. I mean or doom metal excuse me Minimalism caters itself very well to just a statement of one idea. It caters itself very well to Impressionism. So you can kind of consider those two words to go hand in hand. Minimalist with Impressionist. You can get away with one thought because it invites that sort of contemplative notion. In which case, if you want to explore, as they are here, the notion of, let's say, a sun setting or even something crashing through an atmosphere, either way, you're better off using something minimalist in order to do it. Catch-22 there, well, it's not really going to incur the violent touch that they want. So therefore, by wanting to go the violent route, then they decide to step over and, and borrow from Doom Metal, something that they still do pretty well, but it doesn't cater itself very well to the whole impressionist one-shot, one-thought. It, it's not a very introspective thing. I mean, granted, there's probably people out there who would argue it, but my experience from going through this particular track is that, after a while, you're just awash with noise. And it doesn't have that progression that it probably should. In which case, if it has progression, then you are totally not going the minimalist route anymore, and I think that's the direction this should have taken. If you want to go violent, then step out of minimalism. Don't just explore that one idea. Go further with it. Give John what he wants, essentially, and that is the crash.
0: Well also the idea that it this this song could have gone in a very thinking kind of direction but it doesn't the idea that like you can't concentrate if a sound repeats like a skipping record it's hard to keep a train of thought this this becomes very repetitive and by by the time that you actually catch on on how repetitive it is you're either disengaged before that point or if you're still engaged and notice the cycle and the repetitiveness of it you break away at that point because there's nothing to contemplate on. There's nothing to focus on because you've been focusing on it. Even, even this major center
2: section of the track, it's, it does infuse a little bit of variety, a little bit of flavor into it, but it takes so long.
0: But yeah, the major it, shift it's, doesn't it's, really... It's com- so formulaic. Well, the major shift doesn't come to about four minutes before the end. Where Around 752 is where it takes that kind of even in heavier tone... But it's still, It goes bare bones but and truly, quote,
1: minimalistic. But even that's I think not you're, really... I think you're proving my point right here. Yeah. See, you're just going back and forth between these two different styles. And yeah. the fact of the matter is they needed to pick one here. And both of you are expecting either one or the other. But it's just the yeah. fact that they yeah. started with one thing, they ended with another. They started with something that was violent and hence would have catered itself very well to progression. And they ended with something that was minimalist. They just chose that violent touch and just just delivered you that without progression and it was unfortunate because at that point you have noise rock and it's not that i'm discounting noise rock we actually just did a a noise rock or at least the element of that what they do could be considered noise rock back in episode 96 and that was swans but even that had progression within it because of course they were exploring things for a very long period of time then again
0: they had 30 minute tracks well yeah and also that's kind of a thing I want to rant about a little bit. You have no business making an 11, almost 12 minute track if you're not going to go anywhere with it. Like, and I am. No, 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 no. I, they went somewhere three times. But there's no connection between well, it the wasn't three co- It wasn't cohesive. At this length, you could have cut each section in half and made a shorter track that was more concise, more cohesive, or at least just more concise. All right. So well, even if let, you didn't enjoy it. Let's look could... at these little subsections where it does go. And it's true. It's,
1: it's not entirely consistent throughout the whole entire track. For instance, I think one of the problems was the fact that it doesn't really play around enough with either melody or rhythm. And again, I think they could have gotten away with either doing one or the other. Had they played up with rhythm, then I don't think I really would have minded the fact that there's somewhat of a thinner melody. The melody itself, even though it's there and it has its sort of understated beauty, it doesn't reach up high enough for me. Again, it doesn't have that it doesn't have that overtaking power that that the previous track did. Emptiness, I mean, emptiness had so much Uh, a power just in that single light distant guitar note that this simply doesn't have in its fairly concise phrase. Um, Then we move on a little bit. There is a bit of a break in this track, just a slight break where we thin it out a bit, but we get still these rapid sixteenth notes of a single electric guitar and then it is quickly joined by quarter notes of a bass. So this kind of provides this underlying Uh, rumble that really gives it that that doom metal edge the bass I think was one of the most enticing things in this segment of the track and then you get the slow melody on top of that and then we're joined by drums that are sort of sparse at this point kind of a little bit more all over the place they're not as steady as we've had it and I was enjoying this but still after a while even this section managed to fall back into the predictability uh, pit which is really unfortunate because I think this was their chance the, at this at this track building. You're speaking uh, specifically about the eight minute mark. Um, I believe that would be the point.
2: That was a that was actually if
1: it was, it was the a point the, where you
2: really noted the bass. I think. Yes, I was I was really enjoying the bass, but it's for, it started off with those bare bone guitars that had yep. actual literal punctuating drums, as in they were
1: periods. They That's were what I mean. That's what I meant by sparse. Yeah. So they're sparse because they appear there. They're even. They're probably the most textured thing on the album at yeah, this point because this was they the don't go function r- rhythmically at all. This this was the part to go crazy with the drums, like really crazy. No, and no, they No, no, that's the thing. I would have. Well, they now. We're, the drums. Well, now we're just theorizing based on yes. what we want, and that's yeah. not a place to do. But I I think they were they had the right idea here. But I think they should have stayed within a looser form. In other words, if the drums stepped in there, a little there,
2: more variation
1: more as opposed v- to just fairly lego brick style building. Yeah, actually that's not a bad way to put it. Considering the way the drums came in in the beginning, it seemed very difficult to predict and then very gradually I realized it's 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 not difficult to predict at all. It it is just a part of yet another cycle, which could be described as a kind of brick layering effect. And that's that's the way these that's the way this track functions. This was its one moment. This was its one moment for for Salvation, as far as I'm concerned, where they could have even taken it more minimalistic. In fact, this very well could have been, uh, as my analogy, uh, the setting sun. Not necessarily something crashing, but something simply setting below the horizon. In which case, you don't have a crash. You just have a...
0: A a a dying light. Bingo. Yeah, but instead... That's what could have been. But instead, they kept this rigid form, and... Refused to break away from it. It lost a lot of
2: the natural feel. Yeah. I think the the first part of the track had I'm and that That's that's that's
1: what it boils down to the first, first part, part of the track or even or even this part of the track again I'm gonna was I'm gonna chaotic... highlight those two sections as very very strong. Yeah, very, and actually a
2: chaotic, a chaotic
1: Twist to it. That was that felt like it had a natural idea and actually one more And I think this is the last thing I'll say on this track that even both me and John had noted that there was this sort of recomposition back into the primary melody at the end, which even though we pretty much just discounted as a, as a negative in this, in this track, at least the fact that they went there as a negative, because I don't think we really needed to he- hear a restatement there. We wanted to go into something new. Despite that, just from a musical perspective, the, the chordal progression here in bringing us back, reeling us around, I still think was very strong. It's just unfortunate that it, uh, it suffered from a context point of view.
0: And I think that context, though, was intentional because I actually just realized it now. The Descending Sun and this idea of a setting sun is followed by a track called The Light That Left Us. So, the sun sets, the light has left you. You're in darkness. Well, and, well uh, I'll be. <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure that that was intentional. In fact, I'll go out and say that it was intentional. But the song connection didn't really add that connection, which is why I probably never noticed it until now when we're reading the tracks. Um and this song, I mean, okay, so it starts with this kind of soul crawl, this beautiful, mellow gloom that we Let's we've not, which is not diminish this, because no, I still think this is another enjoyable. strong idea, very a, strong in exposition. But
2: it's an extremely familiar riff. This is something that me and Matt looked at each other and went, oh yeah, and we both
0: started talking about two different songs that both have the same very familiar riff it was very reminiscent for me of nothing else matters by metallica which has that very slow build you know just an acoustic guitar playing and it was notes.
1: almost almost cordial it it felt familiar yeah but well, that, that in this adds... case old tricks are the good tricks because familiar or well, not i still think it, it reached out to me more than many other moments in this record i particularly that's... enjoyed the fact that the, that the the bass at the bottom end was sort of bending upward just a little bit and then falling back down, and it would only play on the first of every six beats. This is another six-four song. They really seem to like that that six feel, uh, this band, or on this album at least. And and it, the bass would just kind of punctuate the beginning of those measures, just on the four, just on the first note, and then later on it would just warble up and then fall back down. And it, it's this it's this undertone that is, again, it's serving. It's serving more of the minimalist side of things maybe that's the wrong term because obviously there's still more texture going on here than you would find in 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 minimalist music but it is it is colorful and it is slow and deliberate and at least as an exposition i think this was working
0: well yeah i really enjoyed it and it even took an interesting interesting step around the three minute mark where the drums started doing more than just a rhythm the breakdown that they started and the way they started playing was a lot more engaging because it actually gave you a rhythm that wasn't just a basic beat there was more to it there was texture there was layer we say a lot in this album that there wasn't a lot of texture on the record and they're doing little things in this track to at least convey a little more texture it's sparse and the whole effect to me started coming off as as um a dark lullaby
2: now this isn't quite the perfect thing but it has that kind of nostalgic almost childhood like feel in the familiarity with the riff in the familiarity even with the bass i don't know if childhood is the right word no it it does it it, maybe it's nostalgic
1: for those familiar with the music but that's about it it's
2: taking you back but because it's using the lower register of the bass to accomplish this uh because it's using sort of a deeper tone than what we were already getting it adds a little bit of a
1: darkness to it a little bit of a depth to it that I think was missing from a lot of the previous work here, not track but section I also think that that little bit of depth that you're noticing is exactly what distinguishes it and really made it hard for me to kind of equate this with the, with the, um, especially the Metallica stuff that you're thinking of. I mean, I know they did their fair share, but uh, this to me is definitely a product of, of, of late 90s, uh, 2000s. Do metal to me. This really is, is specific to that genre. It's I can't really take it back in nostalgia.
0: All Especially I was specifically saying before is that those three chords sounded almost identical to the three chords Metallica used and right. nothing else matters. Beyond cool. that, there was no comparison to Metallica. Oh,
1: right. Well, three chords are, are are hardly anything. In that case, let's move a little beyond that because very it, quickly, it as much becomes, as I may love this exposition, they decided to kick it back up and, and, and get rid of this... Uh, sparse atmosphere, which, again, I believe is what they do best, and the guitar and the bass stepped in to merely double up, playing out each and every note along the 6-4. At that point, we have exactly what we had back in the second track, which is just steady eighth note playing, or excuse me, steady quarter note playing, I guess, in this track for every single beat. Yeah, they on they, on they, on they on recreated on. the... The uh, melody as more of a me,
2: uh, metal version of it as opposed to the, the rockish or folkish version they right. were going for already. But
0: they've done this already in the album, too. I never the even, they never even really went no, no, no. hard. That's the folk. problem, that was the just fact the one that they're section.
2: actually just recreating it again as metal. This is a trick they've already done, and the first time I liked it, but this time it's leaving me wanting. Well, I'm not getting that same sort of thing that they were doing before, and it kind of takes out that darkness and replaced it with darkness it takes out that lullaby and and
1: takes again, out the nostalgia idea to it this goes back to what i said before but the, one of the one of the staples of doom metal as we're calling it is the fact that it is a lot more textured the second you withdraw that texture it doesn't matter if you have the instruments for it, it doesn't matter if 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 you have maybe the the consistent rhythms if you lack that texture then you've basically pulled yourself away from the genre and you've gone back to something that i can't even really define as any particular genre because it really is just a thin form of something that could be
0: metal could be post-rock you don't know i think though it it attempts though towards the end to actually like around the seven minute mark to do something interesting that both me and steve noted it actually For the first time in the whole record actually slowed down they actually slowed the tempo which added this interesting dichotomy that that at least was something different than than this this uh, ethereal non-existent genre that we can't place you know it's it's at least doing something a little different for the song but the problem is is that when you slow down like that Usually the slowdown, especially to that speed, that they really bring it to, almost to a halt, is that you go somewhere with it. But they didn't. They slow it down to almost a halt, and then actually halt it. It doesn't do anything. This is coupled with uh,
2: changing up the way the, 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 the music is getting mixed as well, because the bass sort of starts taking a more active role in the melody itself. A lot of uh, of the instruments get cut out and it goes really heavy on the bass as more of a forefront idea and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Um, eventually, it does get kind of uh, masked by everything else, but for what it was doing for that brief period, I was really into it, like really, really into it. Um, it was just introducing the the repetitive percussion and, and and guitar over it and like Matt said sort of elongating it at first great but towards the end you're just waiting for the
1: notes to, to do something uh, my impressions on this section <laughs> holding my tongue is always this is the kind of section where I mostly agree with you two I was very into it as of the beginning, because this is like the moment where they discovered the metronome. I mean, ex- excuse me, they discovered the metronome had a knob, that's a better <laughs> way to put it. It has a knob, it can change, you can, you are permitted to to break away from your form of rhythm. And I say this almost facetiously, again, because of the whole studio recording thing. The vast majority of bands out there are using metronomes, unless you're just sort of a, a, a loose folk band that... Doesn't engage in music outside of like a a, a church gathering, of which course of course you're going to be loose front to back. So obviously you need to have some form of rhythm, but again disguise it. So in this particular case, when they discovered the metronome knob and they turned it down and they dragged out the last last uh, leg of this track, I was very enthralled because it catered so well to that whole do metal thing. It worked perfectly. The bass, again, even had more of a rumble to it. You can drag out that rumble as a result and let it, let it, let just the overall timbre of it wash over you for a longer amount of time because you have a longer amount of time per beat. And they keep it going. It gets even slower and slower. And it was only by like the really end of this that I realized they're just going to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of wanted it to yield something, or at least if you're going to slow it down, maybe introduce a new melody. Maybe we'll get a B section as a result, a whole new thing. But it was literally just in an outro. The whole entire thing was an outro, which was really, really unfortunate. Um, I wanted this section to be more culminating than that. And, well, you might ask, well, what's more culminating than an outro? An outro an outro is, is only skin deep. Yeah, It wh- serves to exit... The song
0: It doesn't really serve as new material. Well, yeah, and also, like, at least some of the other outros that were doing interesting things on the album connected seamlessly into the next track, which was always great when it happened. Here, this one, you just get a single note to, to really get you into coping the next track. Which, at this point, I feel like is kind of what we're doing with some of the album. We're coping. Um, so this one, I mean... Speed strumming yeah. is back. Yay! Yeah, speedy. Speed metal strumming. Not speed, but speed strumming. Let me oversimplify it, and then we'll get into the, the the more nitty-gritty that that might be here. It's speedy, repetitive, and kind of all over the place. The problem with this track is it has hints of stuff that I've heard in... Rock bands and 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 even some a few on the lighter side of new metal bands, but only stuff that they would feature in an interlude of their song, not necessarily a whole song of it. And it was
2: also almost sampling from previous tracks. Once again, we're getting a combination of the fast strum creating the slow, long form melody. And I wasn't really feeling it this time. This wasn't acceptance. This wasn't that first track. It it it's it just felt like they were borrowing so many ideas from the previous track and i'm really gonna hold myself to this statement that it felt just repetitive of the album not just repetitive in the form but
1: repeating the album itself and i that's what i want to hone in on is, is, is what you just said the um the sort of sampling i i found that this track kind of had this tendency to employ these 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 cookie cutter styles and i think that one reason for that is because they were trying to move this track forward. This was actually an attempt, I think, to break free from uh, some of my, my former comments on this album, in that they were sort of saying in the same t- place too much. Uh, I wanted progression in previous areas. Well, in this track, I got progression, and this is where I was kind of disappointed with the overall context of that progression. Once they sought a, a, a particular destination, who knows where that destination was, because... In the end, when you when you think when you pull back and look at this whole track, it seems almost directionless. It just uses these little samples, as as John put it, almost in kind of a prog uh, sense. Although I almost hesitate to use the term because the whole idea about a, a prog rock band is that it would really make an attempt to bind those sections together, that's, or at least that's the issue. There was no continuity in the story they were trying to make here. It seemed continuity. like no. Oh. Both words. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. Well, maybe. I don't know. Either way, this is the kind of thing that takes that that, that cookie cutter style and tries to just insert two measures of something. Something interesting. And maybe in many moments, they th- those rhythmic changes were kind of... Uh, I mean, they were creative. But the problem is that two measures of it is just not going to quite do it for me. And especially if it's not really related to the main theme, which, again, the main theme really is just... At, the texture at this point is just two things, it, it, and it's the same stuff we've been mentioning all in all. It's just the post-rock guitar, somewhere in the high end, so kind of an effect, kind of in a melody, but it's nothing really to speak of. And then beyond that, it's the guitars, uh, uh, excuse me, another guitar and the bass and the drum just hammering away note after, note after note after note after note after note. That's the speed guitar that we have, and that's what they refer back to. That's about the only binding factor, and that is... is is true in John's sense that it is kind of repeating the album in that regard we've had that earlier on and this 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 track just reflects that nothing more
0: and even though I was joking about it earlier if this track is intended to force us to cope with the song itself because it's scattered and all over the place which could be on purpose, Screw you at this point, set and setting. Like I don't. Oh yeah, okay, come on.
1: No, it's no. coping to, to with the. Uh, you this the track titles write the story of this album. You don't need anything more than that. The light that left us. Well, that could really be anything. Obviously, since we have an impressionist. Uh, Overset or overlier here, then it really could be any light in your life that has suddenly been lost. And then, of course, you have coping with loss, which is always chaotic. So let's not diminish it. It makes sense from a certain perspective. I
0: guess. But, but it's but, one of those artistic... Uh, but that's my aggravation, is that... Yeah, it's an artistic so, aggravation. Well, but that's why I'm, I'm being a, a, kind of so boisterous about it, is the fact that... We we often try and find these connections the titles and instrumentals, but the reality is, if, even if you're forcing us to go through this emotion by making an artistic choice, this sacrifices so much from the musicality of the track that I, that's why I'm like screw you because it's it's just it's not worth it. You I'm can merely accomplish saying this. I'm merely saying it's not coping with the track; it's coping with the light oh, well, that no, has yeah, left sure. you. Okay. That's all I'm and saying. artistically, Fine. so artistically in that sense, it
1: is it is the the chaos that you hear here is is. Purely accurate. Yeah, I'm totally on board with this. I would expect to hear that kind of chaos. I would
0: agree. I'm just annoyed that at this point they're taking such a heavy lean on art and it's not helping their quality of music on this track. But
1: it's not at this point. I mean, they've been writing a very consistent story throughout. In the theme department, I see exactly where they're headed, and that's why this track may appear directionless because of the whole coping and and the the chaos they're in. The problem is the same problem as always where do we draw the line between something that just has a purely uh, ethereal artistic notion under which they do follow like like a maybe like a poorly written poem that's still you can follow and you still sympathize with even if not every single line is written poetically right that's kind of what i'm experiencing with this album Every single time they make a change up here, it's like, well, I get it. It's chaos. You just shifted to something else, something else that may be interested in you. In that time, the track has attention deficit at, at, in certain areas, and that to me is not the best way to present chaos. It's just a way to present chaos. It's an easy way to present chaos
0: and coping. It's, it's lazy. It's somewhat lazy. I think that would be my main gripe with it. It just this track feels. Lazy. I'm not. I, I can. I can go
1: lazy uh, only if i really knew the 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 band's potential as musicians it is true there's not there's not a lot of um there's not exactly a lot of shredding going on there's not a lot that i can identify as just like oh that was an awesome thing probably the most impressive musician here i can identify is the drummer yeah i would agree i've been saying
0: that and we get actually
1: and then there is of course the taste of of the guitarists when on the high notes it's not inherently difficult but it is tasteful so there's musicianship in this but i find that a lot of that was just pulled for the sake of this track yeah i agree yeah and
2: then we are led into track eight the closing track the last night comma a vivid memory which does a bunch of different things but most notably
0: uh introduces us to a cellist and a violinist Though that comes later, it's not in the initial intro. The initial intro starts with just the guitar, like they'd done many times before. But at this point... it's Oh, this one comes off almost hypnotic to me. It's definitely a a much more down-to-earth and beautiful, concentrated sound. Concentrated not so much in that the sound is concentrated, but that the guitarist is focused and concentrated on what he's playing.
1: A perfect example of the taste that I'm discussing. Yeah. Although in this case not used for uh I mean not used in a a sort of effect guitar. It's used in in the in the underlying acoustic uh rhythm that's being kept here. With the rhythm you just feel this in 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 four guitar guitar plays on one, plays on two, is silent for the third and fourth beat. And then again, plays on one, plays on two, silent for the third and fourth beat. It's the kind of thing that sort of Teases you into starting a phrase, but it never quite finishes it and that in itself is really really beautiful It's 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 a simple idea not very complex But it's just enough for you to kind of be be drawn into this little atmosphere here Which winds up being much more unique than many of the previous tracks much more filled with emotion than many of the previous tracks it starts by
2: uh, adding that emotion in with the uh, higher register electric guitar Mm and then and as we've been saying, how good it is—the drums come in, and the drums uh, undergo not just you know a build, but an actual evolution throughout this song that sure. I'm just so en- entranced with. Uh, it keeps the the guitars do become repetitive; they actually do stay within a very very safe framework, but. The, the, the slight variances on the pitch and the way the drums are presenting the guitars are just so enticing that
1: they feel fluid, even though they stay fairly rigid. Just like in Emptiness, when you pull away all of that clutter, all that mess that has been there so far, then all of a sudden we can hear the interactions of the individual harmonies. So you hear the, the little repetition, the little motif of that sort of one, two, then space, three, four, and over that, the melodic effect enters in, and you can hear it just glisten over the rest. And when it when it, when it winds up, meeting up with, the other guitar on that first and second beat, it's just gorgeous. And of course, this changes as as the chord progression moves on. And and the change, it, it, as John said, it's fluid, and it's um, it's, it actually does have progression. It's funny because this is a more a more minimalist approach, and it winds
0: up having the most narrative. Well, yeah, because also then, from that point, once this kind of more steady melody is established, that's when these violins and cellos come in. And what really made me stand up and take notice about them is the fact that... They, the the they, fact that they're there. Well, the fact <laughs> that they're starters. there. For starters. And then, beyond that, the fact that they kind of almost mimic this chorus kind of a sound. And not chorus is in a song chorus. Chorus is in a choir. They have this ethereal vocal sound, even though they're not, because when they meet on those notes together in that space, it gives this air of a choir, which was also gorgeous. Well, strings, it, strings themselves are
1: always compared to, to choirs in that regard because they have that singing quality that in, in, in most cases, uh, string melodies are meant to kind of mimic uh, vocal melodies. So it really worked well in that regard, and that probably has something to do with why you feel so much more of an emotional effect as a result on this track, is just because the strings are there and it probably has something to do with, um, do you recall John whether the, 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 the cellist was a session musician for the sake of this track or yes, whether it was a member both, of the band?
2: Uh, both the cellist and the violinist were uh, session musicians. They were brought in. Yes. So they are not
1: really members of the band. No, they were just accompanying pieces. Well, I'm calling it out. They did an amazing job bringing feeling to this track. Not to say that the initial writing did not already have it, but perhaps it's no accident. I'm listening to that melody, that that inner melody, that sort of uh, comping that that these strings are doing, and you can hear within that that there's more feeling in there just from one note to the other than in many of the previous cases uh here listening to the guitar overhead it's not diminishing the notes not diminishing the melodies that the band is writing but it diminishes the musicality in many areas where i just feel that the culminating effect of this is that uh there's more it feels like the 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 string the strings are not tied to the metronome of course they are. Again, let's get that out there. Of course they're tied to the metronome. They have to be in order to continue with the rhythm of this track, but they are not inherently tied to it. In other words, they can fool you into thinking that it's something independent.
0: Well, That's, that's I, the beauty of it. Well, that's what I really like about the drums in this track is also, it doesn't feel like they're you know tied to the metronome, which of course they are. The, rhythm make, the drums are supposed to make rhythm, but they do enough that they also step outside that. Like later on, That's within the track, they bring in the cymbal work, which typically when you're tapping on a cymbal, I mean, it's fairly standard, but they were doing an, a, a, enough of a beat work with the cymbal that they were it wasn't just a consistent, standard flat sound or drone. This it is actually where we, had level. This is where we get into
1: that really, really subtle thing in music, which is just musicality. It's basically the mus- musician's way of saying a je ne sais quoi. In other words, you could play the notes. You've written the melodies. They're great harmonies, but where is that other thing? And that's the thing that perhaps the drummer has here, perhaps uh, for for certain the, the the session string musicians have. But the rest of the band, it feels like they're they're playing this this album cold, almost as a sight read. Uh, in many of these tracks. Yeah. Well, it, there's also something that that drumming
2: section also gets most complicated of the album and it, it shows why the band actually has two drummers to work on a lot of this stuff because that couldn't have been done with two hands. That had That needed at least three or four hands to do unless you're truly a savant. Um, and I think that's actually uh, where I have a, a lot of problems with the previous tracks in that you have two drummers working for you and when the drums start shining, they start shining. But so many times it's well, why do you have two guys with the ability to create this rhythm, this this percussion that you have fun with, and then not use them to really the full extent of what you what you can, what you have been in other areas? Um, and one final little point: uh, the 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 last night, a vivid memory, had a finality to it that I I thoroughly love. This is this is. I think an excellent pair to the first track of "Waves of Luminescence" in that they both felt like they bookended this album beautifully. That they really did set a starting and an ending. It's just when you start looking
0: at the middle, things do get muddled up. Well, the problem is that yeah. the, these two tracks are beginning and end to an album we didn't really get. That if if they were more in line with. If the rest of the tracks or at least some of the other tracks were more in line with the first and last track, at least for this this where it, it sat, it would have it would have made for I feel a more cohesive album also considering the interactions just in this track alone all the instruments interact in such a different way on this album than they had the whole record. It's not even that they were doing anything much more complicated you mean in this track yeah in this final track in than this final the rest of the album. in this final track, they weren't more complicated. Just their interactions were. The way they interacted with each other really drove home why this, this song was so
1: cohesive. That's what I found and I think I'll just flat out say it. The interactions were superior here. I think a lot of it had to do with the string musicians and it was just more thought out. Perhaps, you know, they upped their ante for the sake of the string musicians. I don't want to get into the or, specifics or of this. We just... have no idea. I'm also not even saying anything against uh, the, the primary musicians in this band as, as a general thing. It just feels like like they turned off for, for a good dose of this album. Um, again, it's just unfortunate. Because I, I can hear that there's definite talent within this, and I think this, this final track was um, uh, exemplary of that talent. It just, I often find that this is a product of, of rehearsing too much. It's just one experience, I'm not saying that's it, but I often find that can sometimes hurt uh, the musicality of a particular phrase, is if you rehearse something a little bit too much, it becomes cold to you, where you pre-arrange uh, exactly where you're going to put in a certain inflection, and then after a while, you start to even lose sight of what inflection you're putting in. And the music here doesn't leave room for a lot of inflection, just the way it was written, so it's, it's, it's a, bit a bit of a catch-22 there.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, so why don't you uh, take take us with those points into your overall points of the album? My overall points of the album.
1: It comes down to this. It is post rock. It does post rock well. I can't say very well. The reason I so uh, eagerly put it in that genre is just because it has every element that post-rock, as a definition that it's been for the last 20 years, has told us it should have. It has all the basic things. I feel like this album is just not taking it the step further. It seems sometimes to have an impression of where it wants to go, invoking certain things like, well, foremost, post-rock, Fans, for instance, invoking the kinds of things that they might do, such as moments where you get a little bit more intense, but still regular, and then you pull back and you play things that are a little bit lighter, a little bit more delicate, and really, really close to home, really introspective, and exploring the the textures there. The problem is, there just seems to be this, this predictability to every little moment that they stumble upon in which they do that you're initially shocked the second they go there just because the instruments themselves are inherently beautiful and the execution of it is inherently beautiful but then after a while you pick up on that pattern and then it it, it doesn't so much become beautiful anymore it doesn't even really become probably what they want it to be which is this this ambient effect through their rhythmic repetitions i think that's really what they're going for you figure if you heard it as beautiful the first time you're going to hear it as beautiful the 36th time. Fortunately, it's not really how it goes. A lot of times, you need to kind of build on things with a very, very subtle development. Now, I'm not saying that's completely lacking on this album. Often you'll find it in areas that you're not even looking for it. For instance, that that sort of recomposition effect that you had uh, as early as, I believe it was track three? No, excuse me, it was track five, Descending Sun. That was a track which was expertly done in terms of bringing us back to the main theme. Beautiful. Unfortunately, that wasn't one of the moments that they had really highlighted. So a lot of it has to do with just phrasing and and, and maybe showmanship in the end. It just seemed like at times they were picking upon the most uh, engaging... engaging... uh, riff at that particular moment, and then they just kind of went with it, and they didn't know how long they wanted to keep it going, they didn't know exactly when they wanted to change it, and they kind of just took it from there. Um, but for the sake of just having that groundwork, an overall musicality that kind of guides where their choices lead, I have to kind of throw this smack dab in the middle, maybe a three but I'm almost I'm tempted and I think I'll, I'll I'll let you you both give say say your piece if I decide whether I'm going to throw this at the high twos or not because in terms of in terms of delivery 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 and engagement this album just uh, it struggled it it struggled with a form
0: that I otherwise love and it felt like kind of a cop out for that reason for me I mean my biggest gripe with the album is I am not an ambient music listener or rarely no matter what i'm listening to i almost can always stay engaged and focused even if i hate it because i'm fueled by rage but either way i can find you sounded. yeah well i can find i'm saying in general i can find something to connect to even if it's a negative to get me through a record this record both times i listened to it i kind of just remember it being in the background i mean i focused on parts but there were parts where I would come and go, especially in tracks like Descending Sun, where I was engaged in the beginning and you kinda of brought me back at the end, but in the middle it was kind of like this this ethereal WTF, you know, where am I floating in this world? Um I don't know. I mean I kept comparing it to other tropey sounds that I've heard in the past that might not even connect to post rock specifically, but it was repetitive enough. Like, I mentioned to Steve that I wanted to compare it to Hoobastank, and I don't think it's because they sounded the same. I think it was just because the last band that I remember that was being so repetitive that I was tuning out on certain tracks, it was them. Um, Because they had an air of genericness. And I like Hoobastank, but they still have this kind of air of generic rock or pop rock. I don't have a lot of experience with with post-rock, so I don't know that I could say that they have that same genericness for their genre.
1: I'll interject just to say, if you're going to compare it to something uh, repetitive within the genre, then I would compare it to perhaps the off-tracks that you might find from Sigur Not everything they do is, is spectacular, even though I'm a fan of their work. Um, and I might also compare it to uh, parts of, of what we reviewed on, on Swan's album, To Be Kind. Right. Parts of that album can get very, very repetitive. Of course, they go the noise rock route. It's a little
0: bit different in style, but I think the effect is very much the same. Yeah. And so, like, I want... I... I didn't hate the record by any means. I didn't hate it. I, I did enjoy moments of it. I mean, the final track is gorgeous. There's no denying it. We're all in agreement on that and emptiness. Also for the nitpicks that we have about the track, we also all agree that that track had an impact. It was a very engaging and influential track. But like Steve said, we're picking, we're, we're picking minor moments and there's not always something wrong with that, but I don't know that I could even give it a average rating because I mean, take a look at a band. The last band that I remember giving less than average because I only liked three songs was a pop record. And I actually was harsher on that record. And that was Naked Ladies way back. Um, that was the beginning of this year, I think. Um, and, you know, I liked three songs on that 10-track record or whatever it was that I still listen to. This album, I don't even know that I would go back to full tracks all over the place. I mean, I like the first track. I like I, I loved emptiness. I loved the last track. But the other songs they're just I pluck out moments. But overall, I just I'm not there. I don't know that I'm going to be as generous as Steve. I feel like because of a track like 8, the 8th track, the the title track, it's not I'm not punishing them by saying it was too little, too late because that's over dramatic. I am however saying that with what that track delivered with so little tech You know, technically, you know, it was mostly just the interactions that were brilliant. They have the capacity to do that. And whether it was the session musicians or not, that album proves to me that they're capable of more and didn't get anywhere near it with a lot of the tracks. So I'm putting it at a 2.5. I just feel like they have the capacity to do more and... I just don't feel like there's enough here to engage, you know, especially even when listening to this in, in ha- headphones and really getting a sense of where you are with it, there aren't enough moments on the album to even warrant that. There are songs, but not the whole album for sure. So 2.5.
2: I think we're forgetting that, and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to call you guys out a little bit on this because I think that when you say we're being a little bit nitpicky about moments, a lot of these moments are lasting a minute or two. Of what we're talking about, a lot of the introductions we really were like, "Wow, that's pretty good." But it, it lasts; it, it expands for like a minute and a half, two minutes. It's a solid introduction, so it's not really moments. It's just parts of these songs because some of these songs are six, seven, eight, eleven, twelve minutes. Yes, you get bored, but I feel like I was a lot more engaged than either of you seem to have been. I really did enjoy. On a maybe just a, a more primal level, a lot of what was going on here—it's um, not just waves, emptiness, and the last night that I'm, I'm, I'm honing in on. It's the first third and last third of descending sun. It's really two thirds of that song that I really enjoy. It's—it's it's all of acceptance. It's bits and pieces of the lights that left us and, and coping. There was a lot of really good ideas here that I think were cluttered with the repetitive nature. Of what was going on around it, so this was more of a a glass half full kind of an album. There's a half of it was good, and I'm I kind of focused more on that aspect than the half that just kept feeling like it was being done over and over and over. I again. want to
1: say I'm with you on the primal level thing again. This is kind of my cup of tea in terms of genre, but I'll just sort of slip this in here. I'll give you some better post rock. <laughs> oh if, no, if I you know, like it, because I, I know, like I. That's I know whole, what you're the honing in on. I know and a I little just,
2: bit of post-rock. Uh, I not a lot, like... but a little bit of post-rock. Right. And that's where I'm going to say that I'm not going to be way ahead of you guys. There is a lot of similarity to what they've done and everything else. They're not bringing anything new to the table. That's a, that's a big nitpick here because there's no... I said to Steve, I was looking at his notes. There's no, hey, you're not doing the one three five four progression number scheme because, well, there's nothing here that's kind of unique in that aspect. The chords themselves don't have anything to bring to the table. It's wow. just the framework
1: that, at points, I just am going, oh, that's that's gorgeous, that's great. I wish they'd done more of that. Well, you 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 commenting on that is interesting, and I should say the fact. Whether I choose to sort of like break down a particular section of a track or whether I don't is, um, it, it, it varies from song to song. I, it, it tends to be born of the fact that I'm a musician, and especially when I really love a certain section, I love to discover how it is made. So a lot of that is contingent not necessarily on whether there's nothing to break down, but whether I was inspired to break it down. So that is, is one of the reasons why it, you would not find that in my notes today. And that's what I'm getting
2: at. There's nothing here that is flashy in any way
1: that... that, that uh, Not in even a, in that a, I only a, break a, down a... things that are flashy. Well, I, no, mean, I mean, I did break down, for instance, the slow builds of those minimalist sections and how like, you would introduce one instrument on top of the other in, in stepwise motion, and I did break that down. But I'm saying that there's nothing here that is inspiring you with a new idea.
2: That's what it. That's what it boils down that, to. That There's nothing true. that's giving you any sort of uh, inspiration or insight into another aspect of music that makes you want to push it. As and far that, as I'm that concerned, is, that this is, is telling. Po- this
1: is post rock 101, in many ways. That that's telling for this album. Uh, it's the fact that, that I like post rock
2: means that 101 is still good. Still, <laughs> still say that. <laughs> it's it's like I was saying. It's telling for this album. There's really nothing here that's. Pre- Propelling the genre and for all the connection to theme work that we're finding is is There is is pretty pretty good thematically We said before there's a little bit of the art getting away of the composition So for that I'm putting it a little bit higher than you guys. This is this is a 325. This is ahead of the herd to, to some extent because it does have tracks like the last night and emptiness and waves of luminescence these are tracks that as a whole are really, uh, to me, really good pieces because they do have a solidity through and yet still inspire me to some extent emotionally. Acceptance, same sort of idea. But there's nothing here to set it out of the herd bit by bit in inspiration, in the ideas. And that's what I think is dragging it down
1: the most. I feel like so much of this is just a herd before. I'll tell you what, I'll bump mine up to 3.1. And I think that is as a result of the... um of the emotionality of it all i think in in in, it is true what you said before a vast majority of these sections um that we say are beautiful it's not that they don't go on for a while and many uh, in many cases they do build very well for a certain period of time i can't really deny something that is is well to put it very simply music to my ears it if i if i like it and it is soothing then i that is a success in many, many ways. So as far as I'm concerned, this is just just above the the flat-out average mark for, for that reason. And then there's also that big comparison, which I was uh, making to Swans To Be Kind. In that particular case, you had an album that a, a, a huge portion of it was unlistenable, but it was countered by having an, an amazing theme and a very unique uh, take on sort of existentialism, in many ways. There was a couple of tracks there which which defined that perfectly. Other tracks, not so much. So the theme is really what ended up bumping that that album up, uh, but the thing that ended up dragging it down was the fact that a lot of it was unlistenable. Most of this track is very listenable. Yeah, I guess I'm... I mean, most of this album, excuse me, is very listenable. So that's why it's still in the end i value theme more so if if you look at my ratings i believe uh swans i gave somewhere around a 3.2 something or maybe even a 3.5 but this this just doesn't have the cohesion of idea and i do despite it being beautiful throughout context in the end is is what's keeping it at the lower end of that that average rating because context is key if you're not really introducing i don't want to just hear one on 101
0: On something that has been done for 20 years I guess I am being overly harsh I mean listening to the way you're breaking it down that's true they didn't do anything that's detrimental to the genre they're not hurting the genre whereas what my comparison to brannac ladies they were really hurting the genre of pop they were they were making cookie cookie cutter garbage that we could have done without whereas this I feel like it is all listenable so, but but I refuse to put it above average. I don't think there's more to it than that.
1: You don't have to change your rating based on only listenability. Remember, this, this caters very well to what I like to hear, the well, overall tones that I like to hear. But as for you, I mean, just consider back in episode 81 when we reviewed Against Me, Transgender yeah. Dysphoria Blues. That was 101 of its genre for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. doing nothing groundbreaking in the field, but it did have the strong... Uh, theme that binded it together, still we all put it flat out in the middle of the twos.
0: Yeah, yeah 2.5, 2.5, so two, two it five. really kind of
1: depends on, on what your, your take saying of it is. I, I
0: think putting it at a 2.5 two is too harsh. I think that a 2.75 is more accurate because it's a pro- approaching the average, but I still fall under this acceptance of it.
2: I, I'm seeing that being a theme work because you were about... <laughs> His own I think a personal solid... No, no, no. A solid point difference between... Me and you, rating wise, four swans. Yeah. And a lot of the complaints are the same reasons that we got here. Yep. And uh, that, yeah. well, that's our review. I do want to speak of something else this week. And that was kind of inspired by how I found this band. Just the idea of how does a band, how does a musician make it? How do you become famous or employed or anyway? How well, do you go, how do you make the step from being. I'm a guy who plays a guitar to I'm a
0: musician getting paid for my work. Well, let's be clear, though. That step comes in a huge range. You can be a professional musician based on just no longer needing a day job and touring to make enough money to eat and feed yourself. Normally, there's some crossover there where you're doing both for right. a while. Well, like good for while. for example, I mean, um, I've mentioned him on the, the show a few times because he was a big part of my new show and with providing with theme and being one of my first interviews, Tribe One is a musician who had rapped in a few songs about how it was terrifying to quit his day job and become a professional rapper. Being a professional rapper and being a famous rapper aren't always the same. Now, Tribe One's famous within his circle, he's got a lot of fans, but he's not, he's not, um, you know, LL Cool J, he's not Eminem, but they're not the same thing either. So this idea of fame, we have to preface has a huge range humongous but i think what you're trying to say is how does a band at least become noticed now where it used to be no no not even that how do you pay the bills
2: how do you become a band with a name and a following and things of that sort i think
1: the question is you're asking that you're asking is how do you- how are you noticed
2: yeah and that's 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 the big problem because nowadays uh, you're using a lot more technologies. Oh, there's a much different mindset than it was when people were, quote, discovered. And even back when people were discovered and became famous because, you know, some guy walked into a dive bar and all of a sudden, oh, that band? That band's awesome. Let's make them great. And then you have
1: these, you know, four chaps from Liverpool making a fly over to the United States. It happened a lot that way in the 60s. I mean, even, and he, he, even he, Bob Dylan, a lot of that was just him playing his guitar in the village. But it was at at certain venues that that scouters or, or recruiters would would be pre-designated, they would be pre-designated locales for them to visit and kind of scope out what's being played in the general open mic nights, that sort of thing. And then if you're lucky and you'd have to be very lucky and many of the ones we know as big ones of course were, then they will come up to you after the show and make some form of offer.
2: And that's
1: part of networking
2: and networking is easily one of the most important aspects of what you can do well
1: Um, that's barely even networking
2: that's presumes that you were approached no no and you didn't have to do shit (laughs) you're talking about actually going to a place where they are actually looking for people to discover every once in a while that's part of that aspect of just reaching out to other people and getting yourself noticed by different organizations getting yourself noticed by labels by uh, reviewers by just mass media in some way shape or form is is so important because you have to put your name in so many different pools before you start seeing it rising to the top before you actually start seeing things
1: like sales well also in other words networking you're making the claim that networking is much more powerful uh, uh, much more required today than it than it ever was even back when it it's always been required, but nowadays yeah. it is so much more required. It's yes, a much larger.
0: But seat. I mean, there are still bands that get through on the old model. I mean, uh, the one of the, a couple of bands that I've interviewed recently, like the most recent article I wrote for the site, when I spoke to Jose from uh, Three Years Hollow, he talks about how their label finding them and helping them. They'd put out other records before. But this first label record got a much bigger hit and much bigger notice than anything that came before. Also, when I spoke to a slew of different bands from Pavement Records, we've got a new interview coming up. Um, the next Tuesday to follow this episode will be uh, Justin Doyle from Adage, who just put out their f- their first five-song EP with Pavement Records. And there's just such a bigger, huge push behind it than... They were getting on their own with their first EP where there was no label behind them pushing it.
2: And that's, that's another really important thing, and that is work with the label that suits you. Don't go after any old label, but also don't go after just being part of a huge label. You need to find the right mesh of individuals that see your idea and want it to work versus what they can actually bring to the table. But it's not like you want to record all the time if you're a rapper with whoever, with Dr. Dre's label. You don't want that right away. You want independence. Independence can be much better for you than working with the same guy producing a Justin Bieber record or a Taylor Swift record because they have different expectations for what they're going to want to produce anyway. You work with a huge label, yeah, that'll be great because you will hit just because of the fact that it can bring so much more money to the table... Uh, a, a stardom almost almost instantly, depending on how they spin it. But at the same time, don't hold out for those people. You, you, you can't hold out for those sort of people because you just need to be able to work with somebody who
1: shares your vision, who shares your idea, and wants to see you succeed. That all depends. I mean, for one thing, I do believe it is a very advantageous thing for you to probably get behind some other band, some other much more well-known band, and and play as the opener for that band. Because, I mean, even if you may want artistically, ideally, to, to separate yourself from that particular artist, just the numbers that you're going to be getting about people who are going to that show and then end up seeing you as an opener, because, well, you they gotta wait through you in order to get to the artist they came to see, They, you had that chance there to win over so many people and even if they might lean more toward the art of the latter artist, there are bound to be people there who are just they have broader tastes and they're going to be interested in what you're doing then all it takes is for that person to share your name with for instance a friend of theirs who really is into you much more than the bigger artist. I think just the sheer numbers involved there are, are something you can't, you, you can't deny, you can't ignore to the point of, of, of sort of getting on your high horse to say, I don't need to be, I don't need to be under that, that big label or, or open for that major artist, I can do it on my
0: own. And I don't think you can always afford that. Well, it depends on the case, and I have two points. The first point to what Steve was saying, I actually have a personal experience where I got into a band that was completely a separate genre from the band that was headlining. So I went to see No Effects. Punk band through and through. They've always been. They open their own label. They do it by the book themselves now. They don't need anybody else. But they are textbook punk. One of the few bands left that do textbook punk. Their one of their opening acts was a band called Old Man Markley. Old Man Markley was an Irish kind of folk rock band. They had a washboard player in the band, and it like when they came out on stage, I kind and they had a, a fiddle player also, and I kind of tilted my head and went. Do so these guys know it's a punk show? But mm-hmm. then they started playing, and they were phenomenal. They were really great. I ended up buying their record. I've been following them since. And it's all because I was blindsided by another genre that I like, but opening for a band that you would never expect to tour together. And they were on tour together, and I was really hooked from that moment on. And I think the dichotomy helped. Well, a smart um, a smart agent
1: or or... Or maybe a, a ballsy agent would certainly do that. They would be able to read into it and say, well, you know what, maybe they, they, don't, they don't have to be identical genres or even even subgenres. If we can find some point of connection just between what these guys do and what these guys do, then it should be fair game, and we'll have that extra chance of being able to wow people over something that they didn't expect. Because, of course, maybe that's just it. If you end up going behind, uh, excuse me, opening for another another major artist, and your music really is similar to them, then you're probably going to be overshadowed by them. In which case, people will be coming to your show expecting to hear something similar to the music they came to hear, and they will find it in you. But that doesn't mean you're a success, that just means you were expected. That's and it.
2: But, but, but,
1: but, but I we had reviewed, we reviewed. You, that means you won't be remembered.
2: I, I want to I talk about this quickly. Okay. Uh, we reviewed uh, an artist, a pair of artists who actually spat in the eye of major label corporations and went their own way. And that's Macklemore uh, and Ryan Lewis. There you go. Yeah. They're the perfect example of the exact opposite of actually trying to stay th- true to their ideas by creating their own label. They didn't want to have to compromise in any way with a big label system. Um, not to say that Macklemore didn't have a following before. Well, but also, he blew up when he went off
1: on his own and followed his idea. And now they have a commercial out advertising that exact thing.
0: Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the thing about Michael Moore what and Ryan Lewis also is I think they created the right thing at the right time. There was a little bit of luck involved because there are a ton of independent rap artists True. who release on their own constantly and have not hit the same level that they have. There was a little bit of a niche for right, right, right time, right timing with that with thrift shop that really really helped them it also has to do with the content of of, of um of that album
1: and how every single track seems to touch on some issue of the day yeah i mean i still think it was well done but i even think to this day it was sort of a flavor of the year yeah um it it, it, it hit upon issues that were of the time and it also was was self-aware in the fact that there was a track on the album that spoke to exactly what they did. Yeah. So as a debut album, it works. Um, it's still, it still is yet to be determined as to whether we'll know Malcolm Moore and Ryan
0: Lewis in 10 to 20 years. Right. That's yet, yet to be. But the second point I wanted to make about building your own career is there's also a very unique way to do it that I've only seen done once and done well is create your own genre and then make a documentary about it. Of course, I'm talking about the artist I'm seeing this weekend. MC am a lot. He more or less was one of the big figureheads for creating nerdcore hip-hop and then released a documentary about it featuring him and a handful of other artists. And It wasn't even a mockumentary? <laughs> no, no it, was it, was a documentary. it was an actual documentary about him going on his first tour and what 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 entailed preparing for that first tour with his band and how to get out there and how to sell his records. And he made a big impact to fans pretty quickly using the internet. Um but he crafted his own career. He essentially, you know, he and I don't know that he was setting out to create Nerdcore. I think he was just a nerdy guy who liked hip hop a lot and wanted to rap, but didn't didn't know anything about gang violence or growing up in the slums. He knew about text based RPGs and um, you know how he wants to stand up for gay rights and how you know you know it's just these things that he knew what to write about. And ended up spawning a genre out of it, and he decided to document it too, which was a huge backup to creating and cultivating this persona and this career. We may
1: very well find uh, mockumentaries about certain genres, especially if if the genre is is completely created from the ground up, which is um, uh, Wall Street players' niche financial rap. Right, which I still kinda- now that could be. Pretty cool mockumentary, if it, you don't mind my saying.
0: Yeah, I, I it could. Although I like to, to say that they are a branch, a specific branch off of Nerdcore. Because it's very nerdy to rap about finance, I would say. Oh, come on. No, nah, it, it could be very that's astute. That's just strat- It's it, it very astute to,
2: to rap about nerd, uh, 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 what's it called, financial records and things of that sort. Because
1: it's pretty much on everybody's mind right now. In the United States at least. See that's actually you just touched upon, um and this is just a minor digression, but I think it should be said. Touched upon one reason why why I, I actually almost detest the overlying genre uh of Nerdcore. Not all of the individual bands thereof, but just the name itself. It can be a unifier and it's proven to be a unifier, but it, 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 it also implies that if anything is is if you construe it as nerdy, well then it has to be under nerdcore and then a lot of bands you know probably don't want that particular attachment they might just write about something that is interesting to them and well maybe you could define it as well, a f- a
0: point of being a nerd but not necessarily Well, to be fair i mean Sh- Mem she made fun of himself in that respect too saying that his yeah. creation of this label could be detrimental because it's too specific. And, and you, you, you even mentioned several, a
1: couple of other artists, too, who, who had their that sort of ingo- ongoing plight that sometimes
0: they want to write about nerdy things, but sometimes they just want to write art.
1: Right. That might be I think the,
0: the reality of it is nerdcore is more important as a movement than a genre because it was a group of people who came together. It's a pop culture movement. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what the documentary mostly focused on, and I think that's what made him as popular as he is, is the fact that it was more about a movement and bringing these people together so this is not so much a digression after all because of course
1: if you can sort of create a movement behind what you do and that is contingent upon what you do of course because if you're just planning to to be a member of a particular genre well then you don't really have much hope in this particular department but if you have something going for you that is wholly unique in style and delivery and maybe even as a superseding genre then uh then if if you can popularize that movement and find other people that are into the same things, then you can turn it into a thing of which you are are the progenitor. And to some extent,
2: it's also, we got another band that I really love that we did one of their albums, The Flowbots, which are a uh, hip-hop rock combination. We talked about them a lot. I bring them up every once in a while because I really, really love them. But a political slant, and the way that they present it is so non-hateful for a lot of what you would expect in in political movement it's cheeky (laughs) yeah it's it's cheeky at times and but it still has that serious undertones but now being instead of the 1960s pure rock politics it's hip-hop's take on it and it was kind of like their baby they were one of the first ones to do something like that they coupled this with the idea of making it a way of life of what they're preaching is what they practice. They have followers. They created at the same time uh, a political comic book online to kind of go co- to coincide with all the stuff that they were, you know, at times preaching about. They try to get people involved, not just with their music, but with things they believe in. Uh, everything from when it was still around, the Occupy movement, to. Uh, politi- uh, positive pol- political discourse and all sorts of stuff like that. They they use their music to really create a
1: pedestal that they kind of presented this platform on, or maybe maybe the other way around. All that notwithstanding, all of it, I I really think it boils down to something so much simpler, and that is hip hop meets strings. What? Guarantee you that was half of the reason why that band got popular. Now oh, no. Who, that, But that's that's the whole thing. Their strings weren't
2: present in their first album, which was
1: the one that was their breakup album. And which was the one that had uh, "I Ride My Bike with No Handlebars."
0: That was their second record.
1: Because that is the song that really broke them free. Actually, the
2: the original rendition of uh, "Handlebars" didn't have strings either. Didn't have strings, and that's the one that got radio them on the radio. Yeah. But then they added the strings, and then all of a sudden they're this huge hit. So, they got bigger from there, but... I, guarantee you, the I first, guarantee
1: you, I guarantee you, it was that one little, one little choice that of texture. That wasn't even their
0: first single. I think that this is a very superficial way of looking at the fact that the band took an, a unique perspective on their own music and a unique perspective on their social awareness, and it bred for a popular band.
1: I'll agree that it was probably both, but, you know, because sometimes the, it is shock factor. And well,
0: if... Yes, and I will take... I, there's nothing shocking about political music well, these days. Well, well, these days. But I'll take off on that. A band that built a career on being shocking and getting into trouble politically was Rage Against the Machine. When they first started, they were all about going out into the world, playing their music, and trying to get in trouble, get noticed, to stand up for what they believed in. And it, it was a gap
2: of about 20 years, give or take, between, you know, the... Shock politics of the '60s and early '70s and rage. Yeah, like bands had tried that, but Rage actually accomplished it. They got themselves into the forefront. But to some extent, like
0: REM also did the same sort of thing. But part of of that also, I would agree on Steve's side is they were a rap rock act, and not like Limp Bizkit where they were rapping about nonsense or whatever. That you know, mostly bubblegum, you know, empty calorie rap rock. They were rap rock with a purpose. And I think that's what really pushed them to that next level as a band, and have, uh, ultimately ended up being their downfall because they became too conceited with them themselves as a band, is the talent of Tom Morello and the political perspective of the lead singer, Zach, I believe it's Zach, really is what made that band what it was. That's just the thing.
1: I, I mean, I think that really, you'd have to just be talking about 60s folk to... to um to say that political music, at least in that department, was directly linked to its popularity because in those cases the lyrics are just so incredibly digestible but in many cases political music does not equate to, to famedom no, it is there true. as sort of an afterthought there's much more luck involved in just the things that, that lead you to fame and I think that's really what I want to get back on
2: and I think that that's where I could pose my final question um, that I've really thought about. And that is, what's more important,
0: record sales or billboard scores? Um, when it boils down to... If you neither. Want to be- it's awareness. Awareness is what's most important. If you want to build yourself a career, it's having a present and a connection. Well, isn't billboard scores just an answer to... Isn't that part of awareness? awareness?
1: If you're the number one People are of aware big- of, but of at the you same if time, it's getting lost. I guess,
0: but it's a matter of loyalty and awareness. Because loyalty will continue on through ups and downs. A lot of Billboard hits, not all, but a lot of the major pop Billboard hits. Look at Britney Spears. Her fans were very fickle, and she was a talented singer. She put out good pop records, at least for what she was trying to accomplish. But she got big too fast, had a mental breakdown, disappeared. She came back, she's released a record recently, I doubt it sold anywhere near what she used to when she was younger, but there's a the loyalty wasn't there once she her music changed or it swayed, the loyalty kind of faded. Whereas you take a band like Aerosmith, who has not changed very much over the years. But they have a reach and a loyal fan but base. But there was not a hiatus in that particular case. All this says is
1: that time is fickle and that if you are absent from the public for a certain amount of time, then of course your awareness will, will decrease. I mean, really, the only case I can think of where, where if you want to talk loyalty in, in the case of a hiatus, then I, I, I'd have to refer to Black Sabbath. I believe 13, uh, the album we reviewed back in episode 58, I believe that album did fairly well. Not amazing, but fairly well, just because of the culture surrounding Black Sabbath. At the time, in the 70s, it spawned metalheads who spawned other metalheads who always go back to the progenitor of that genre, and that was Ozzy and his crew. That would never, of course, be the same for, for Britney Spears. So in any other case... If you have an absence, if you have a hiatus, there's natu- There's going to be decline.
2: And I would say that loyalty, which is, I-, I guess as you would explain it, going back to a band over and over and over again, that's that commutes to sales. If a band is loyal, I mean, uh, if, a, if a fan is loyal to a band, they will go out, they will buy their things. They will go out I, and continuously buy paraphernalia. I would say... Buy compilations. So sales are actually... Not just the money aspect, but sales, what you can generate, is more
0: important than reaching number one on the billboard. I would th- well, I would say that also because when it comes to sales and loyalty, if you're an artist now who's independent and you're putting out your records on Bandcamp or you're putting them out on SoundCloud or whatever else that's not a CD in the store, people have direct access. And if you have those fans who are loyal, a new album comes out, it's instantly online when it comes out, you purchase it move on you know if if it's accessible that way you know if it's a billboard hit band i mean they're still relying mostly on cds or itunes but no not, no that's that's not even what it boils down to billboard hit uh, hit bands could be one hit wonders two hit wonders maybe three hit wonders wonder like it, it's one it's, hit wonder it's is even f- really a thing that exists anymore with the accessibility we have to music but that's top oh for no it time. Definitely it's, it's still like, in fact
1: it, i think it's stronger than ever i
2: mean uh with the variety of individuals who are making music and presenting it to the world
1: nowadays, it's probably going to be more common as time goes on. I think that was definitely true in the case of, um, uh, <laughs> wow, I'm actually proving my point right now, or even having trouble remembering this. Oh, of course, Psy. Yeah, oh. Well, I think he's that's still putting out example. songs, though. Yeah, where is he? He just put out a song about six months ago with Snoop Dogg, actually. Okay, well, you might keep track of this stuff, but I don't think it's being discussed. Is it, is it on the
0: billboard? Yeah, and it was on T- on MTV, and he had a presence online. He's still here. He's not gone anywhere yet. But it wasn't as big as as um. It's as Gangnam Style. Well, even
1: that, the one hit wonder, still can go down to the fact that like you may still very well have a career. There's gonna be people that follow you, but you know, the one hit wonder is where your one song, your one product, is suddenly everywhere, everywhere at once. That's the big thing, and that still happens and that will, that will continue to happen,
0: especially in internet culture because sharing is so easily. So I, so think, I think ultimately, John, your question has an answer that's more simple than even record sales and it links to what I was saying before. I think it's bu- building an audience is more important than anything else now. However you do that, whether it's through a label, on your own, social media, building an audience. That, and so I guess it leads more towards record sales, but I would say building an audience is the most important function of becoming a successful musician. I think it actually comes
1: back to the, what do they call it, the four P's of marketing, and I remember three yes. of those P's at least, product, placement, and promotion. I forget what the fourth P is, but I think I'm going to hone in on promotion here because that may be the one area where John has is, is, is kind of got something. It, you may be on the Billboard 500 out of precedent. It is very possible that you could be on the billboard out of precedent. Because, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. This is actually speaking to your point, not John's. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and uh, if you are on the billboard 500, well, then maybe you're selling. Great. But that's only because there are people out there who are just going to keep on re- buying up your stuff. But are you gaining any new listeners? No. You're, you're, you have airheads, essentially, who started listening to your music in the beginning. They never changed their musical tastes. And they buy it because there was money in their pocket and they think they should have it right? But that's that doesn't speak to promotion. Promoters need to be really invested in your product and they need to see a future there for them to start sharing your music and presenting it to the masses again, all over again. That I mean, they did that for Black Sabbath's project because they saw a future there. They saw a market for that, a, 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 youthful, a youthful market that would reflect the same kind of popularity that they had back in the 70s. Sure, it would be a nostalgia thing, but there was a lot of buzz surrounding just the fact that they rejoined again. Ozzy's back, back with the crew, hasn't made an album with them since 1970-whatever. And that's just the breaks. A lot of times that will happen in the case of a band that has a good image also, like like Mumford & Sons. Great image. Such a wholesome crew. at least notoriety in one way, shape, or form. Least notoriety. But a lot of bands that you will find on the Billboard 500 have have passed their, their prime in terms of wowing a new audience with a brand new image. Their image is the same as it ever was and it will only reel in the same crowd, not new ones.
0: Yeah, essentially the reality is if you can keep... Promoters buying... won't
1: trust that is yeah. what I'm if, saying.
0: If you can put butts in seats and, ha- and have pi- people buy and share your music, it's the same logic that some artists release albums for free on Bandcamp. Because the idea that a free album will promote itself. You don't have to promote it because someone will buy it and get, take, get it and go, Hey, dude, I got this album. It's free and it's great. Go get it.
1: It's probably the one area which we didn't touch upon today. Instead of talking about how to get famous,
0: we, we kind of drifted over how to stay famous. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it, it, it's all connected and we can always return to it. Um, I think this, though, I think John did bring up a good point, though. It does lead more towards building an audience keeping an audience and making those record sales or sales in general will keep you alive longer yeah just by building a community yeah that's what, that's a, that's what, that goes what I just said <laughs> what
1: wait what we No, the about... whole thing about promotion is that billboard sales may not necessarily no no we're talking
0: about audience sales not billboard sales like the idea that you're if you're making money it's through your audience it's through this promotion it's through the connection you're making not through the Vapid just sales. Buying... Uh, the billboard sales don't always equate to promotions. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It, 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 equate, people, it equates it's... to blind listeners who were into you in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. There you go. All right, why don't you take us into <laughs> our spam, Steve? <laughs> what a roundabout ending. Yep.
1: Spam. Spam, spam, spam. What a stuff of unambiguity and preservedness of valuable familiarity on the topic of unexpected emotions. By...
0: Buckeye drug rehab, and what was that on? Wait, what? What was it posted on? Do you know? I don't keep track. does it matter it anymore. Does it matter? No. no. Well, just Excuse Buckeye it. drug rehab, unambiguity. unambiguity, unambiguity, and for
1: and preserveness.
0: Preserveness. Is unambiguity a, no. a word? I feel like maybe John was is a further evolved form of spam bots. I would. I second that notion. (laughs) You would. I'm okay with that. Um, So, pronunciation is... Typically at this point, we would be uh, promoting how we're going to have a guest on for the uh, final episode of the month. Unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts, uh, Rashmi will still be joining us, but she'll be joining us for the second podcast in October, giving us a two-guest month in October. So we're skipping guests in September. Um, but So next week will actually be Steve's pick. I'm putting
1: a lot on the table here. It has finally happened. I have my chance now to provide the, uh, the counterpoint to one of my favorite bands of of present day, and that would be St. Vincent, because there's only one other band that I think goes right in line with them in terms of being one of the most innovative bands that is out there today, and that is My Brightest Diamond, headed by Shara Warden, who is a brilliant composer. I love the stuff that she's composed even a part from her work with My Brightest Diamond, although I'm a fan of the stuff she's done with My Brightest Diamond ever since uh, their first album back in back in 2006, I'm very excited for what she has to offer. And if it's anything as quirky, which it is bound to be, based on her previous work, and perhaps just as quirky as Saint Vincent, I think we're all going to be in for a treat. And what's the name of that record? The name of that record is This Is My Hand. Interesting. Seems like it's putting a lot on the
0: table too. That sounds like it. At um, least the hand. Yes, at least. I was thinking of a poker thing, but never mind. Well, John, of course, will go more literal because he's John.
1: Yeah, he
2: is. No, Steve, look. No, this he is John. No, you are John. This is,
0: an, this is my hand. John's pointing to his hand,
2: audience. With my other hand. I haven't hand, done that in a while. Which is... Which is don't, don't encourage John. These are my hands.
0: It's no, a, those are your fingers. Cyclical.
2: It's cyclic. Those are your fingers. I'm pointing with my fingers to my This head. is
1: my fist.
0: I'm <laughs> punching you in the face. Good and, counterpoint. And on that note, and that wonderful counterpoint, remember, as always, music, music is, is life, life, and life is good. good.